You're listening to the Women as in Art podcast, and I am your host, Leah Schrager. Welcome to Women as in Art. Today, I am so excited to have Una on the podcast. Welcome, Una. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm going to first read your bio and then we'll get into our discussion. Cool. About Una. Una doesn't really exist, but she takes herself very seriously, so you should too. Una is an anonymous conceptual artist whose practice explores the intersections of technology, finance, gender, and identity. Through moving image and performance art, Una exposes the collision between progressive technologies and socially regressive ideas, offering a critical perspective on the contemporary cultural landscape. Una was born on November 1st, 2021 in the Holy See. She has exhibited her works internationally at prestigious venues, including Art Basel Miami 2022, the Metropolitan Museum of New York, Proof of People London, Proof of People New York, and Avalanche Summit Barcelona. Uno's performances and exhibitions have garnered critical acclaim and attention from collectors and curators. She has been featured in numerous publications, and her work is held in private and public collections. Una is important. Um, I love how you write, or I love how you, you're so <laughs> bold. It's so bold. How did you get to that? So like, I should just say that half of that bio, I love it when you read someone's bio and they're like award winning, but they don't tell you what award. <laughs> so I was like, True. what are the fluffiest adjectives I could possibly put in here? Like I'm in prestigious collections and then not say a single collection that I'm in. Uh-huh. Um, that's actually like a really good way of kind of um, broaching a lot of what I do in my practice is this use of kind of I don't want to call it manipulation because that sounds very intense, but it's like a very coordinated, very thoughtful exercise in social engineering because my entire practice revolves around the value of female artists, of, you know, as a woman, as a female artist, um, I'm questioning the ways in which women have value in their artwork and their thoughts and kind of their contributions to that culture of society. Um, how how they're managed and how they're made and I've noticed in my own practice like doing really funny things like pretending that I've been on the cover of Time magazine as one of the next influential artists pretending Mm. that I have you know had these like gargantuan sales when really I'm using blockchain which means that it's a public ledger so anyone could theoretically check (laughs) if it actually happened but like creating this aura or this false perception of really linking my name as an emerging female artist to these like prestigious institutions and these really um, high price tags. It's been really fun because I start to realize that it works on a lot of people, which is funny because then I always end up telling them like, Hey, you know that that sale wasn't real, right? Like I didn't actually sell butter for 333 ether, which would have been the equivalent at that time of like $350,000. Like, I didn't actually sell butter for that much. But now that you've just given me an opportunity to come show at your gallery, yeah, I'd still love it. Mm. <laughs> and so it's about playing with that tension point. Like, where is that value and how do we work with that? It's It's been quite fun. Like always after I do 
kind of like a fake sale. It's quite funny because if you've been following my practice, then everyone has the habit of like going to either scan and kind of looking up how much it actually <laughs> sold for. So they're like kind of in on the joke. But then people who haven't are just going to like write me and they're like, Una would love to like interview you for X, Y, and Z. I would love to have you at X, Y, and Z gallery. And it's like, mate, my practice hasn't changed at all. The only thing that's changed is how you perceive it because your hierarchy is still linked to mm-hmm. institutional support or fiscal value. Um, mm-hmm. So I have fun playing with that. That is amazing. So how do you announce it at being like 333 ETH? Is that on your Instagram, on your socials or in your bio or where is that? Yeah, so the 333, I've had really, uh, I've had a couple really good ones. So let me back you up first. Um, In 2022, I performed Milking the Artist with Laurie Baldwin at Art Basel Miami. And that one was basically, I'll just give context for people who haven't heard it, basically like arrived to Art Basel Miami, you're in a very big art fair, large convention style, everyone has to stick super far up their ass, like being super serious, perfect description. Exactly. And, you know, one thing that's always irked me, and this can be a topic that we get into later as well. It's the way in which at most art fairs, you're used to seeing female breasts um, in photographs, in sculptures, in paintings, in all of these things, but it's hardly ever female artists that are actually making it. And most of those images pander to like an oil painting depiction of like women, languid, you know, docile, needing all of these things. And it's really oriented towards male gaze. So I wanted to do kind of a piece that spoke to how I felt that female artists were treated and how I felt that the breasts were treated within um, the context of these large art fairs. So I did Milking the Artist with Laurie and we essentially went gorilla into the art fair. We stood in the throughway and we just started shouting, may I have your attention, Art Basel Miami, may we have your attention? And we asked two very poignant questions, which of course I'm forgetting them right now, but (laughs) the punchline of them was like, why is the breast so unwanted when it's attached to a living consenting female body Mm. right and then laurie unzipped my jacket and then we proceeded to auction off the breast milk and of course like we had one plant so i had a friend and i was like i need you to bid like the first (laughs) bid and i need you to bid it at 10k and so then we start announcing the bidding and then my friend bids at 10k and then it was really amazing because within like I don't know, 25 seconds, it just showed like how hungry people were for like an experience at the art fair. So we got a crowd of like 300 people all with their phones out kind of like filming. And then people started to take the performance on their own. So then we had someone shout 30K, 40K, 60K. (sighs) And then I saw this like one guy run up from the crowd, shout like 100K and then run back into the crowd. And then at this point, when it's starting to get around 100K, I start to see security pummeling at us but there's a crowd of 300 people with their phones out so it's taking security like a really long time and so then I'm like mouth to Laurie underneath my mask and I'm like Laurie cut the performance and so we got a winning bid of 200k and then she ends the performance she's like congratulations the artist milk has sold for a winning bid of 200k security comes promptly grabs us and then we just keep shouting as they like escorted us out um and that one was really interesting because I was 
super aware that the only way that that performance would reach a context outside of the people who were there mm-hmm. was to have a high price tag associated with it, right? So we capture yes. their attention in the moment by doing something of the female breast with a living consenting mm-hmm. body, very vocal, very loud. So that gathered people's attention. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that we would actually need to somehow legitimize the sale mm-hmm. in order to get the press that we wanted. Now, being a crypto artist, I'm very familiar with blockchain and blockchain mm-hmm. technology. And I knew that all I would need to prove to the media outlets would be to send them a receipt. Say, no, look, here's a transaction. Money was exchanged. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where I became and like showed some what I think is really fun, like crypto art flair. Um, I wallet washed. So Una bought the wallet address now that you're paying attention. And now that you're paying attention, <laughs> bought the glass of milk for 50 ether. And then Laurie Baldwin and I made a kind of like wallet washing video, which was like satirical. Like, do you want to get any attention as a female artist? Like, this is the oh, that's hilarious. It. It's like collusion. And so that's kind of where this beginning to <laughs> associate financial value and artistic merit in ways that they weren't normally associated kind of started to happen. Mm -hmm. And I realized all you really need sometimes is a video that says that it happened. So for Mm -hmm. instance, Laurie Baldwin and I then went a proof of people and I had been carrying around this um, thing of milk and churning butter for three days Mm -hmm. in New York city. And I'd done like a couple panels. One of them was like Kenny Schachter and Matt Hall who were like these Mm. big shots. And I was like, I don't know how I'm here with you guys, but (laughs) all right, hello. And I'm just there like churning butter during the panel (laughs) as they're they're talking. And it was actually amazing because like Kenny Schachter can be quite prickly at times. And there was a couple prickly moments. And then all you could hear was just like the butter churning, like (laughs) So I was having a good laugh to myself. And then same thing, Laurie Bolton and I went to uh, mm. Proof of People and we auctioned off the um, butter. And obviously with that, we just kind of let the crowd take it away. Then we had one video and, and I socially fabricated the video in post-production mm. and I added in more cheering. I added in more flashes. <laughs> I added in all these things and sent one tweet about it. And then it just kind of took on a life of its own from there. But of course, if you went to the blockchain, right, which as uh-huh. a crypto artist, that's part of the medium that I'm interrogating. You can yeah. see it plain as day that the butter sold for 3.33 ETH, right. not 333 ETH. Right. Same thing that if you looked at the original transaction for the milk, you could see super clearly within four transactions that that was a wallet wash. Mm. So it's on one hand being very overtly transparent with the public ledger about what's exactly happening and mm. then playing on the way in which social media and um, kind of our attention span in some ways mm-hmm. really just dilutes to a half a second thing. And at that moment in half a second, if I've already made someone think that I've made that much money, great. I've already achieved the goal of kind of inserting Una and important uh-huh. in their mind. And if I haven't, it's quite a fun joke to participate in. That's amazing. Wow. Silly. Wow. <laughs> Definitely silly. That's so great. Um, Okay, so I have to ask because I first found out about you because Anne Hirsch messaged me and said, are you Una? And I was like, uh, <laughs> no, I have a project called Una. What do you mean? And and she was like, oh, I thought maybe this was you, this Una project. So I have to ask, um, how did you come up with the name Una? <laughs> so Una 
um, God, I'm like, do I really want to say it? So Una in Gaelic means lamb, sheep. Mm-hmm. And I'm, the entire practice of Una and the entire character of Una and the performance art of Una is about using identity as a medium. So Una is totally anonymous. She doesn't show her face anywhere. The only thing that's very publicly known about her is that she's a woman. And that's about mm. it. I keep everything kind of under wraps. Um, of course, it's like little bits of education that kind of sprinkle out just because, you know, it adds to legitimacy of like, yeah, I'm actually an artist <laughs> that's using identity as a medium. Um, and I found the name because I really like toying with this idea of, you know, how women are perceived as innocent or docile and kind of these notions of mm. the lamb and the lamb for slaughter right mm. um and then this will be a little tidbit for all of your listeners una is a gaelic translation of my real name oh i don't tell anyone that so that's a secret just for the podcast listeners don't just put that for the podcast the don't put it anywhere else okay <laughs> so um do you have an art practice also under a name other than una or is all your art under the name una Currently, it's all under the name of Una. I have a couple alternative characters, but Una's basically like full-time job. Bitch is busy. She keeps she keeps me on my toes. <laughs> That's great. Um, I mean, coming out, I guess, wait, so um, you did school, right? It's your, your MFA. So, um, and then... Did you launch a project during school or after school? And how did you get there? So Una was born in November 1st of 2021 at NFT NYC. So technically I'm only like, I don't know, 19 months old. I'm just coming up on my second um, birthday, which is really Mm. fun. Um, But I've basically been involved in crypto since 2016. Um, mostly because I wanted to buy drugs for parties on the internet. So I figured out how to use the technology. And then I was like, oh, actually, this technology is quite cool. Um, So (laughs) I will just stick with it. And then I started to watch kind of what was happening with the NFT boom. And one thing, which is a central through line of my entire practice, um, is interrogating, yeah, the ways in which this technology is more progressive than the people that use it. And I think that's in the bio Mm -hmm. as well. But what I mean by that is, I was watching a lot of people talk about, you know, the digital renaissance and the potential that this technology had to democratize art and art Mm -hmm. finances. But I was really seeing the ways in which women were included in those conversations or iconography of the female body was used by male artists was Mm -hmm. so unoriginal and Mm -hmm. so far from progressive. So my practice is, yeah, in that little sweet spot of like, right, I fundamentally Mm -hmm. understand and believe in this technology and I am very Mm -hmm. like pro this tech and I'm happy to talk Mm -hmm. to people about the tech. I think that the tech is not without the culture that goes around it. So I investigate the ways in which essentially I think that our cultural attitudes towards female artists, towards a female body and towards things like self-sovereignty can improve. So Mm -hmm. I essentially take the tenets of cryptocurrency which Mm -hmm. is self-autonomy, self-regulation, self-sovereignty. And I apply those outside of the model of finances. So Mm -hmm. if we can understand that our fiscal identity should be self-governed, self-regulated, self-autonomous, why can't we understand that my gender, my sexuality, my creativity, my intellect should be equally self-regulated, self-defined and self-autonomous? 
So I basically just, yeah, yeah. I have fun with it. <laughs> That's great. And so do you find then in the crypto, well, I mean, this goes back to what you said earlier that at Art Basel, most of the bodies of women that you see there are through the hands of men. So there are men who are photographing or painting typically. Um, do you feel, and, and in the crypto space, I have to say like my feeling of what I've seen and I'm not super familiar, like I'm not really in, inside it, but it seems like most of the bodies of women are, there aren't like real women doing it. <laughs> like there aren't like real female bodies there except for your practice and maybe a few other ones. Yeah. So I always think that like within every sphere, every cultural center and crypto definitely, specifically crypto art is definitely its own kind of like cultural hub that at the center, it is pretty much dominated by white men. <laughs> but that's not to say that if you shift the center, you don't find a lot of like exciting artwork. Mm -hmm. So I've actually managed to connect. And this is the thing which gives me like the utmost sustenance with kind of, you know, female artists like Margaret Murphy, who mm -hmm. does self-portraiture and AI photography, but yeah. about like these Rubenesque women, you know, there's mm -hmm. Sasha Styles that's doing a lot on poetry. There's Ana Maria mm -hmm. Caballero. So there's actually like a lot of mm -hmm. women that I love and relate to that are also making, mm -hmm. but they're definitely not what people think of when people think of crypto art. So right. it's almost like having a, not a counter movement, but there is like a very yeah. strong, vocal, wonderful, yeah. intelligent, artistically driven group of yet yeah, female and non-binary creators. Um, yeah. Oh God, I hate that I just said creators. Um, <laughs> artists are creating. That's like one of my pet peeves and I've just been reading the word creator. It's fucking irks me that word so much. Um, it's quite a word. It's really oh, interesting because it's, it's, a, it's like, a code word too for like adult models. They'll say we're creators because it's code for, um, so it has many sure. meanings. <laughs> yeah, I always just like think that one thing which is going unexamined is the slight messiah complex. You know, I mean, like to have followers, to be a creator, mm -hmm. those are two very godlike qualities. Yeah. And I don't think that they're very flattering to an audience, right? Like, I don't really want followers. <laughs> what? Mm -hmm. So you can be my sheep and I can lead you ultimately <laughs> to your slaughter. It's like, no, I want like peers to engage with more so than I want mm. like, you know, this notion of having followers. Um, but yeah, I can't really remember what the question was. Sorry, I just remember. I don't know either. So then on the topic of <laughs> followers, on the topic of followers, I feel like I read somewhere you said that you were, you, you like bought followers for your Instagram. So why then it's both important and not important, the followers, it seems. Yeah, it's really funny. So like Instagram for me, um, I don't really use it. Um, I used to use it very actively in the beginning of my practice and then most of my stuff was getting taken down from Instagram and I'm sure that you've related to this in so many different ways but just like archaic versions of censorship which really do nothing to progress how we see the female form or protect mm -hmm. kind of anyone that does need that protection right so it's complete yeah. letdown in terms of like censorship and, and yeah. Uh, yeah safety or safety guidelines right yeah. Then I did Art Basel and after Art Basel, any posts that I had that wasn't previously reported, I got some really pissed off people that then just came and reported oh. almost like everything on my page. 
So basically then was left with like three posts. And so then I was like, you know what? Screw Instagram. Let's move on. So now I treat Instagram like a big billboard advert. Yeah. And I use it as this advert. And I did buy 10,000 followers for, I think it was like 90 pounds to like a hundred dollars. And it's so funny because then people would start to message me and be like, holy shit, you know, like you've made it. You've got like (laughs) 10K followers. And then like when I would share like my stuff with people because it's really funny, like in the States, I've noticed that a lot of people would prefer to see your Instagram than your portfolio. And so I would just send them my Instagram, which had three (laughs) posts on it, but 10K and they'd be like, wow, she must be someone. (laughs) it's really just like teasing out where is the independent thought and are you relying on other people and follow accounts to um, influence how important you perceive someone's message to be or how valuable you perceive their artwork to be so I like to fuck with that and then on Twitter um, everything is organic and on Twitter um, I'm really active like every day uh-huh. and having uh-huh. an absolute hoot with like my different Twitter groups so I always say that oh, if you really fun. want to see you know you have to go on Twitter oh interesting um, because I don't think yeah. that was in your link in bio was it was your Twitter in your link in bio on oh, your Instagram link in bio <laughs> <laughs> yeah no probably not but the thing is like yeah. Twitter oh, is tricky. very native to yeah. crypto, crypto and to crypto art so it's funny that it doesn't really favor as much of a visual portfolio um, as Instagram does yet it's where most of crypto art kind of centers and I really do love the people that I have on Twitter and types of conversations that I get into so yeah I'm much more active on there that's cool that's cool um yeah, it makes me think of also Amalia Ullman's project, which I guess it was a different artist who bought her her followers, but she got a lot of press for having a lot of followers was part of the topic when the vast percentage of them were fake. So it is um, interesting how that works. Now, how and- you can how you can tell that like when the, when you look at the blockchain, you can be like, oh, I can tell if that's real or not. I can look at an Instagram and say, oh, that's real or not. So it's interesting was, how these different things. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say that, right? Because like as soon as I bought my followers and I realized how easy it was, yeah, I started to look at other accounts. And yeah. I even noticed in myself that I would fall under the same trap of you go to yeah. an account that they have 12K and you're like, oh, wow, this must be like, something interesting happening here and now I have that same lexicon where I can go oh over 10k cool that cost them a hundred dollars let's go to the post and see who's actually engaging what type of engagement it is and like yes because you can buy engagement of course too um likes and comments but you can so okay here's my secret well I don't know it's a secret but this is so this (laughs) is how you can really tell is you look at the people so because you can buy engagements and you can also buy live views so if you want to know if the comments and uh likes are real you want to go to those people's profiles and see if they're also following the page that they like to comment it on because typically i mean as far as i know maybe they're fixing this <laughs> but when you buy fake engagement it's just coming from random bots it's not coming from actual people following that account oh, totally. obviously so that's how you, that's like one really good way I think to tell. Yeah, botting. It's very interesting. It is. Yeah, very interesting. I, I mean, habit value. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go I, ahead. I just I think it relates to value. Yeah. How well so how so? 
in terms of like it just changes people's perception of how important someone is and mm-hmm. saying that someone's important is another way of saying that they're valuable right. so it's really all of these things in relationship to value power importance um right, right. and i like influence as cringe as that word is it really mm-hmm. is about kind of like influence and if there's a way to manipulate that then those barometers are not actually that great of measuring someone's influence or their artistic merits or their yeah. kind of leadership so how do we kind of challenge audiences and challenge curators and challenge mm-hmm. galleries and challenge ourselves to break free from thinking in those kind of mm-hmm. very rote ways and start to examine like okay what questions is this artist asking yeah totally. and do i align with the questions that they're asking and do i enjoy how they're asking those questions right yeah. like i also hate that instagram and in particular we see this a lot in crypto art as well that like the art aesthetic of beauty mm. has become so synonymous so when i tell people that i do performance art mm-hmm. they can't understand it like a painting mm-hmm. and then when i tell them no it's not dance no it's not singing <laughs> it's performance art <laughs> and yeah. then they can't also quantify that into like an object or into yeah. something pretty then it becomes much harder to understand what you're actually producing and i think that yeah. there's this kind of false thinking that art always has to be pretty it's mm-hmm. crowley schneeman who has this thing about she like loved when her work was described as exquisitely disturbing because yeah. that meant that it was exquisite in terms of the aesthetics were like very strong and she was being yeah. very conscious and calculated about the visual choices but disturbing in the way that it was not really meant to placate like look here's a pretty photograph of flowers mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. at the same time carly schneeman got a lot of flack for being pretty herself and being a pretty body yeah which actually like i saw that um you know in the tagline of this um there is I, I think it's like can a woman artist uh what, what was the tagline <laughs> i don't remember um no it's right here can a woman just be art oh um, yeah pretty schneeman has this quote can a female artist be both the image and the maker mm. and oh, i've yeah i've done this series called sex and speculation which uses a very like centerfold image of una in a sterile white gallery uh-huh. with these big horse hooves and this big fake breastplate and i have an outdated kind of television in front of uh-huh. my groin so you can't ever truly see like kind of the the sex organs and it's a video art collaboration so i've been sending mm-hmm. out these different centerfold images to other artists mm-hmm. and they respond and that's oh, cool. one of the questions that i always include in there can a female artist be both the image and the maker and what do they what do, what do you think what do they say what does the art world in quotes say I mean, the art world, I don't really know. <laughs> the other artists. Uh-huh. Um, I've done three collaborations. So one has been with Laurie Baldwin, one was with Clara Voltstadt, and one was with Lulu Lux. And all of them have obviously kind of yeah. agreed that, of course, of course, the female artists. Um, but it is that same interesting tension point, right? Like, it's so easy, and I'd be curious to know kind of your thoughts on this, because it's so easy when you are a female artist making artwork about being in a female body, for people to read that so jaded as narcissism and so yeah, jaded as a self-obsession and not see the intellectual interrogation or the context of art history that lives behind that. So yeah, I'm interested in kind of progressing. Oh, For, yeah. I mean, yes, please, <laughs> please. 
We really need that. I think immediately, I mean, it's still, it's weird because you think we're beyond it, but we're not. And still just having a female body and a piece. And I would say myself, I would say that if the body presents a sort of attractive demeanor or whatever, it's much less likely to be considered art and critiqued as art. And you have a really interesting balance between it being both attractive and disgusting at the same time. I also think the fact that I don't really show my face ever yeah. Yeah. changes it entirely. Because yeah. I was thinking about this the other day. It's like, Definitely. you know, my body is my canvas. <laughs> and mm-hmm. reality is also my canvas that's the nature mm-hmm. of performance art and so mm-hmm. using my body but not having a face associated to my body to an audience my body kind of loses mm-hmm. its meanness and yeah. it functions in a lot of ways more like a sculpture more like an object yeah. Yeah. more like a ready-made so I actually when I'm doing performance art which just means like going out in character and being at these events or kind of like having the mask on and whether it's like a stage performance art or whether just me experiencing is the performance art, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I elicit a lot of responses. Yeah, And I think if I had a face showing, if people could see uh, my lips, if they could understand mm-hmm. who I was clearer, I wouldn't get such intense responses. Interesting, yeah. And so like some of the crazier responses that I get is like a lot of transphobia, which is strange because I am not trans, so I don't claim to understand what that's like. But, you know, for instance, I was at a Christie's and and now party and I am talking to this man and I was wearing a wig and I'm quite tall naturally. And then I had heels on and this man comes up to interrupt me and another man having a conversation. He goes, don't talk to her. It's a man. And then walks away. And so, you know, my voice is low and all of these things, I realized like, oh, I wasn't even aware that this conversation or that this huh. kind of conversation that Una presented did trend on kind of very much queer theory. Mm. Um, so as much as I think that Una is about feminism, it's also about queering feminism. Mm. And what I mean by that is kind of ultimately, yeah, getting people to move away from a, you know, gendered understanding and see that mm-hmm. gender is something that we collectively make up mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. if we can recognize that we're actually spirits in bodies then mm-hmm. hopefully we can start to kind of find more compassionate language and mm-hmm. ways of seeing other spirits in other bodies however they want to be seen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's really fascinating that that happened <laughs> Oh my God, I had another one in Miami during Bitcoin week where I auctioned off a loaf of bread that I had baked a Bitcoin wallet inside of. Mm. I think like half of the Bitcoin, that was ridiculous. And I'm standing at the bar beforehand. You know, it was like, oh God, I need a drink. I'm like, so I'm waiting to get a drink and this man comes up behind me and he goes, are you a real woman? And I was like... So are you wearing, you're wearing a mask at this point, right? Are you also I'm wearing... wearing- Anything my hair was done up. I yeah. had like, you know, great curls. I got these new hot rollers, which I love. <laughs> I used hot rollers and my hair was curly. Oh. I was in a black dress and I had oh. a thing of butter and a thing of bread. And that was the very first question that he approached with, which is such an aggressive question. Huh. And so I just responded like, what do you say? As, yeah. opposed, as opposed to a fake woman. <laughs> and he was like, 
no but you know like we're in Miami and there's a lot of like fake women and now there's like fake fake women <laughs> and I just I responded back and I was like congratulations you're the first outwardly transphobic person I've met tonight oh, and then wow. just turned my back and ended the conversation because yeah I'm not really interested in talking to that audience wow. if that's how they want to like interact mm-hmm. with me mm-hmm. so it's been an interesting you know like those types of um experiences I don't think that I would really get if I was showing my face mm-hmm. um, yeah. and same way that like low-key yeah. misogyny, covert sexism, like I get a lot of those reactions, um, internalized misogyny and it's because I don't have a face and also I wear sunglasses and like a chain uh-huh. or a mask that I make uh-huh. myself. Yeah. So people can't always see where my eyes are. Yeah. So I could be facing you, yeah. but actually watching how the person to my left or to my right oh, wow. is consuming Una. And I even did a performance art piece with Vertical Crypto Art during NFT London, where I wore this like giant box around myself because it was Una's first birthday. And so I went as the artist's the present and I had Una wrapping paper and I was like, Una wrapping paper. And then I just had a camera right around my chest. And that camera was actually broadcasting to the back of the gallery. So you could stand in front of a TV in the back of the gallery and watch how people were looking at me. And mm-hmm. I'd cheat my body, right? So if you and I were having a conversation, I'd cheat my body to <laughs> the left or I'd cheat my body to the right. But you and I are still having a conversation, right. so other people aren't thinking that I'm really looking at them. It's all about gaze, wow. and I love manipulating mm-hmm. gaze. Um, yeah. Tell me more about the gaze. Well, I think that, you know, I've always been hyper aware in a female body that I have been looked at, that I have been consumed, that I have been kind of the subject of a lot of gaze um, in my personal independent life. So I take Una as the polar opposite of that. Una translates the gaze as in like, fuck you, you can't help but look at her when she walks in the room because what is that? thing yeah and so like a really good way of describing it and I was actually writing about this the other day just for myself I remember when I was like 16 17 the first time that I saw a man taking photographs of me Mm. and I didn't know how to respond I felt uncomfortable Mm. I didn't want him to have photographs of me it was in an airport like all of these horrible (laughs) emotions right that go around with like just being like fucking 17 and like some random bloke like taking photographs of you like what the actual Mm. fuck now the first day that I ever go out as Una I'm leaving the airport and I decided that I was going to like go full character from the airport so I'm getting off the airplane I have my mask on the entire time I have this like amazingly big jacket and like a massive pink hat so like everyone's staring at me and at the airport I see that this guy is taking photographs of me oh wow And so I go to him, I'm like, darling, this is my better side. Do you want to try again? (laughs) And then he just starts to take a whole bunch more photographs of me. So like, right, like Una responds to the gaze very differently, Mm. but it involves an acknowledgement that the gaze is present. So Mm. I am so done with this kind of, you know, having to prove that women are looked at differently in society. I am so Mm. done having to prove that we get treated differently in the street, in public transport, yeah, that CCTV and all of these things do fuck all to help like sexual harassment or these types of experiences. 
So rather than try and like kind of argue that the artwork needs um, needs to be there to fight against the gaze, I'm like, yeah. no, I'm going to show you how dominant the gaze is by uh-huh. dummying it, literally, yeah. by just being yeah. like a dummy mummy to the gaze. So yes. Like, if I see you taking a photograph of Una, I'm going to be like, darling, this is my better side, shoot it again. And then I'm going to mm-hmm. tell you, no, go lower. I want you low and I want me high. Yes. And give them <laughs> literal like That's directions, amazing. you know, and like confront and acknowledge that they were already taking a photograph of me. Right. Because that gaze is always present. Right. And now that. I'm starting to get more and more into like video art installations and incorporating mm. them into my live performances. Mm. Um, so I have one coming up in LA for a show um, that's called Interreality. And I will present as a semi-nude sculpture. Oh. And there will be a live <laughs> broadcast in the front of my groin, uh-huh. except the webcam will actually be my butt so if you walk in you just think oh my god there's a nude lady and she is like this live video feed in front of her obviously I expect that most people will go all the way around to see if I'm truly naked at the point in which they go around to see if I'm truly naked I then capture their face and I add these kind of like I have a CCTV like facial recognition software that I'm running that's basically tracking the outline of their jaw and their lips and their Mm. eyes Mm. and exaggerating those features right so making them cartoonish to expose their traits so then their face will be displayed in the front of my groin so it's both creating a a power dynamic between the audience where they can never experience their image in relationship to me Mm -hmm. they also Mm -hmm. have to be consumed by someone else right right that's amazing where and when is this uh performance it's slated to um open october 14th and it's oh. in los angeles uh with bitforms gallery and it's into reality is the name of the show it's curated by mika marble god i'm mika mike oh. i always say her name wrong it's Sorry, okay. mika, <laughs> mika. <That's>, yeah maybe uh, <laughs> i'm really bad with names that's very cool. Are, are they, wait, so Bitforms, yeah, they have a new location in LA. Is that right? Because they were in New York or? I think they're still in New York. I think they're doing okay. pop-ups. Um, uh, and cool. Yeah, cool. I mean, I'm also at the stage in my career where, um, let me back up. Anita Stechtel, who's this wonderful kind of um, female artist from the 1970s, like in New York, she said this phrase and I absolutely love it but she calls them underknown artists because mm-hmm. it places the emphasis on the market to catch up and know her right mm-hmm. but they mm-hmm. have the onus to gather more information mm-hmm. they have the onus to educate themselves rather than the term emerging artist yes. because emerge means you need to like come out of this yes. eggshell and it's like no my practice has been here the whole time it's just the market yes. that's getting used to it so, yeah. like, in my career as a current underknown artist, yes. I basically take any opportunity I can get. I'm very happy to kind of go oh, wherever yeah. the flow is. So, like, they offered this show, and I was like, yeah, great, let's make it work, let's make it work. And I've just been, like, really excited for it. So the show has been postponed, like, twice. So <laughs> we'll see if it actually ends up coming to fruition. Oh, well, I love, your, I love what you're going to do. <laughs> Me too. That sounds okay, really fantastic. Um. What did, okay, I wanted to ask, oh, I can't remember. Um, let me, okay, so um, let's see. 
How did you get all that press? Was that actually like, was that, did you have a PR person or was that literally just because you were like spreading the news yourself? So for Milking the Artists, I hired um, two PR firms. Oh, smart. And smart. one of them, I mean, like smart, but then the center of the story because not that smart. Oh. <laughs> I know. One of them, I was like, okay. I want to make this pop on social media and I found this like agency out of London that was very boyish, very, you know, that kind of energy and like, yeah, bro, cool. Like a performance about tears, going to go wild. And I was like, look, they don't talk about it the way that I want it talked about, but fine. Let's see if they can make it actually run. These people were garbage and did nothing a complete waste of money but I heard a wonderful woman from Los Angeles and she was really helpful and Mm. basically the way that I've learned that it's worked Mm. with press now it functions more like a domino so as soon as you get like one or two to four everyone kind of just like falls in line um and so like we had a choice with milking the artists of breaking it with paper magazine or with TMZ Oh, and nice. I thought that TMZ yeah. would be so funny. Yeah. So we broke it with TMZ instead. Wow. And then the Daily Mail picked it up after that. Yeah. And then it went to like a whole bunch of other places. But yeah. right, there's an interesting analysis between the kind of um, concept behind that performance was that mm. artists, in particular female artists, are extracted from more so than they are valued. Mm. And in the press of that piece <laughs> what did we see but the same exact play out so yeah even though that that piece got maybe like i don't know over 500 press hits uh-huh. that most of them again reduced our identities away from our names away yeah. from even some of them the fact that we were artists and it was mm. two women huh so two women milked themselves at art basil two women <laughs> did this Da, 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 and like huh. very few of the headlines had our names mm. in them mm. so that's just like another example right of furthering this thing where it's yeah. like extraction away from identity individuality towards kind of these like more banal ways of um i don't know if banal is right. the right word there but like you know what i mean kind of like yeah, yeah. very boring basic ways yeah. of describing things and one of my personal favorites was when i was a little girl i used to watch e-bombs world and I don't know if you ever saw that viral video, but it was like, it's the end of the world. That one. Um, E-Bob's it, world. Okay, great. It's so funny. It's like a cartoon animation about the end of the world. It's about like nukes and like whatnot. And it's like really funny just typologizing the entire world in these like animated characters. And they reached out and they're like, do you Aww. want to like do a little press? <laughs> sure. So it's kind of once you get the ball rolling um, with those things, it takes on a natural life That's of its great. own. And since then, I haven't been able to afford um, mm. a publicist. Um, yeah. Would love one full time, but I'm just not at a point in my career where I can pay for it. So, sure. you know, we have to make the choices that we have to make. Oh, of course. Well, it's an amazing amount of press. And I feel like when I first went in the press, one of my biggest lessons was just like not to believe anything in the press. Like, because they don't fact check, you know, they say these random things about age, about whatever. You're just kind of like, you can try to correct it all, but it's impossible at some point. So totally. 
Yeah. Yeah. Which was like, so really funny experience. Um, and by the way, how are we doing on time? Do I have time for another story? Totally. Yes. Yeah. I would say, I mean, maybe another, well, how much time do you have? Like another 10 minutes, something like that? I'm, I have the whole afternoon. So that's very kind of you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so another fun story was in sex and speculation, the first kind of video it's a collaboration with Laurie Baldwin, and basically we use butter to measure the gender pay gap on Super Rare. And Super Rare is a highly curated, yeah. or so they claim, I don't believe that at <laughs> all. I think they're rubbish. But highly curated kind of like crypto art platform. Mm-hmm. And we analyzed the sales over 100 ETH. So we're pretty much looking at sales like more than like 100, uh, 1,000 pounds. Um, and within that, we found that there were 123 sales. And then within that 123, we broke it down in sticks of butter. And then of course, by the end, shocker, you get to the butter that's left for like a solo female artist. And there's like one stick of butter out of 123 (laughs) sticks of butter. So I'd already been going on this thing, right. Of kind of critiquing the ways in which, uh, crypto art meant to be democratized you have this curatorial platform and then you actually see a replication of the worst of what the art world already offers. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of been like festering on this for a little bit. And then two weeks later, Sotheby's announces their glitch art show and glitch for listeners who don't know has a rich, rich queer feminist history. It was started in 1973 by like a trans artist who was first starting to like, make glitches of these like TV home dinners, um, marvelous artwork. And the Sotheby's show had 21 male artists, not a single female artist, not a single trans artist, not a single non-binary artist. And so I look at the 21 and I saw that every single one of them had also been on Super Rare. Uh, and so that just really revved me up and I was wow. like, no, 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 like let's dig into this. So then I started a little Twitter uh, feud, which I am not afraid of a good Twitter feud. And so I tagged all 21 of the male artists and I said, uh, knowing that Glitch has this rich history of feminists, of queer theory, how in this day and age are you okay with being in a show like this? Mm-hmm. And the fallout from that was shocking like so shocking so i'm not going to say any names because they're not important enough to mention but a couple of the male artists did respond and one of them then decided that he was going to pull his artwork out of the show (laughs) and it became this whole like look at him he's the knight in shining armor meanwhile i'm looking at it i'm like you fucking snake i know exactly (sighs) what you're doing sotheby's ends up cancelling the entire show and they did wow. a recuration by uh, Donya, aka Let's Glitch It, who is a wonderful, wonderful artist, you huh. know. Um, and by Rosa Menkman, um, like really talented, like women, queer artists who <laughs> have been like native in Glitch for forever, ended up recurating the show, which was super huh. fantastic. And I was super happy for them for that. Um, and Really funny though, because you watch the press fallout of why it was recurated. And uh-huh. of course, what do you have but 
male artist, insert whatever his lame name is here, pulls his artwork out of Sotheby's show. And it was such a manipulation of a narrative yeah. that was totally aimed at, again, benefiting yeah. uh, male artists yeah. rather than talking about the distribution. So then I would yeah. go to these press people and I'd be like, hi, you wrote my name wrong. It was <sighs> my tweet. My name is Una and you wrote my name wrong, number one. Number two, here's my links. If you're linking to all of his uh-huh. profiles, all of his things, link to mine. But it's uh-huh. became very obvious to me when people are manipulating press. So like when uh-huh. now when I look at press, that's another thing that I look yeah. at. I'm like, oh, who has things linked and who doesn't? Because mm-hmm. the person who has things linked is often the one that paid. Yeah, yeah. Well said. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And you can manipulate press even in the same way that you can um, Instagram or blockchain numbers, right? It's a, if you have the money for it, you can definitely do it. Exactly. And that's why I I do believe now that I'm like, I'm really critical of anything that I consume. Um, and I never really believe the whole story of whatever I consume. I think that things are always like layered and nuanced and I've just had the first hand experience, you know, to to live in that. Um, and it's really important. Um, tell me about, are you interested at all? Are you playing it all around with AI as well? Or are you mainly in the crypto space? So, I mean, it's a good question. I, the way I conceive of my practice, I use whatever medium is most Mm -hmm. appropriate, right? So I'm much more of a concept artist. And then Mm -hmm. if like I needed to pick up embroidery, for instance, because (laughs) it was relevant to whatever concept, I would just pick up embroidery. Uh I tend to perceive like all of these things as tools that we can use. And I see AI much in the same function. Uh Um, And so I'm actually working on a project series. I don't know what to call it quite yet (laughs) in which there is going to potentially be an AI element in it. Uh Um, But it's much more kind of like would be deriving it based on kind of images I've already provided. So Mm -hmm. I'm doing this performance, which I'm really excited about. And I just did a private preview in London at the Anchor Cultist Gallery. And it's the first performance where I've ever gotten to do this. And I was so happy. I did the performance two nights back to back. The first night was women and non-binary audience only. And the second night was men only. And the performance essentially involves, it's called Look, Touch, Own. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with Valley Exports Touch Cinema. Yes. But, yeah, okay. Uh, Snapshot in the 1970s, she was really pissed off about how breasts were being, like, hypersexualized in cinema. So she built a cinema around her literal chest. And then she went out into the public arena. (sighs) And people could touch her breasts behind the, like, screen behind the theatre curtain for 33 seconds. I'm doing uh, what I perceive to be in a lot of ways a contemporary iteration of that. I used to have breast implants and I got them removed. And I have these massive scars and they're really beautiful. And I am in Look, Touch, Own inviting people to touch the implants and touch my own breasts. So right, Mm. they can touch both breasts, the implants and the scarred breasts. Mm. And I did that for the first time last week, actually. And wow. it was just absolutely flooring the mm. ways in which people were responding to it. Mm. The, the conversations that we had in the gallery post-performance were absolutely mm. wild. And then I'm basically taking analytical data and emotional data 
-hmm. from those like from the first 300 participants mm -hmm. of the performance mm -hmm. and generating visual artworks that kind oh, of cool. yeah that kind of represent those so i will create like a base of 300 images mm -hmm. and then just to get back to your question about ai in the longest mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. way, um i would like to get the performance to the point where as soon as someone touches my breast that triggers the creation of an artwork. Mm. So I'm toying with whether or not AI is an appropriate model mm. to use there if mm -hmm. I base it on the first 300 touches where mm. I am the one that is collecting the analytical data and I'm imbuing it with emotional data mm. to create visual artworks that I feel represented that touch. And then I can have an AI database that kind of is trained on mm. my touches and then produce a, a, a new kind of output for every time that someone does touch me after the uh -huh. first 300. Wow. We'll see though, because ah, I kind of like making the artwork myself. So I might just say, fuck it and never give it to AI. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. So, okay. You're doing so many exciting things. Um, <laughs> I guess, well, actually, okay. I think I have two last questions. One is you've mentioned some artists you really like, do you want to throw out, are there any other artists you want to mention? Um, yes. So, I'm just going to say her name again because I love her, Margaret Murphy. Yeah. Um, she has a she, show coming up. I could look at you all day. And the photographs um, from it are just like, I could look at them all day. Um, <laughs> so Margaret Murphy for sure. Um, one of my favorite kind of like digital artists right now is a woman named Wombat. Um, and she's yeah, been making right. kind of digitally yeah. native artwork that pulls yeah. on this like, I don't know, collective identity of the internet and the ways in which like women are consumed on the internet and some of them make me laugh there's mm -hmm. Lorna Mills who is like an OG yes. <laughs> um, yes. like GIF artist I love absolutely love her work and then those are kind of like three people that I'm very happy as an artist to be in conversation with and supporting yeah. their work and they support my work and they're brilliant and then if I zoom farther out, yeah, it would be like Crowley Schneeman, Valley mm -hmm. Export, and Orlan in particular um, mm -hmm. is someone that I've really been getting into of late. Uh, just read, rather reread for like the 75th time, <laughs> a manifesto on carnal ah. art. Um, ah. So, yeah, th those That's are my awesome. ones. I would say between ah, those it. six, you get really good spread. Uh -huh. Absolutely. And so, and what about? Uh, like you've told us a bit well tell us tell my listeners where they can find you and also anything you have coming up that you want to mention yeah i mean like instagram you can go for the billboard um <laughs> won't be that interesting twitter is better That's um, the place. i know people are kind of like iffy about twitter so then i guess just like wait for it to come to a newspaper <laughs> 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 um yeah and then like what's coming up next um yeah LA, New York, yeah. uh, and London, I have performances running pretty much every month, um, mm. very different ones with some wonderful partners and collaborators. So if anyone's in those cities, oh my God, how could I forget next week I'm going to Berlin for Berlin Art Week. Oh, um, <laughs> if anyone is in Berlin for Berlin Art Week, yeah, come to that. Oh, amazing. Wow. Well, um, thank you so much for being here. Is there, I guess, is there anything else you want to add? Yeah. Thank you, Leia. Oh, um, okay. Pleasure. <laughs> like love meeting other female artists that are yeah. using their body as a canvas and interrogating the ways in which women are consumed and 
adding their own agency and in your own practice I definitely see the element of agency of provocation but meaningful provocation that's actually you know pushing the cultural temperature towards a much clearer beautiful freer understanding of Mm. females ah I love that thank (laughs) you so much I'm gonna end right on that note because it's perfect (laughs) (laughs) perfect thank you thank you this has been the women as an art podcast hosted by me Leah Schrager Please visit womenasanart.com for more information and to find us on socials.